Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. You have Brian and Jeff and Alan. And first, let me just welcome you guys. Jeff, good morning. Thank you. Appreciate it. And Alan, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us again. Oh, I appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to the second half of what we started earlier. Yeah, we're in part two of a series on the pride of life. And in our last podcast, Alan covered several elements of the pride of life. In fact, that might be a great spot for us to start, Alan. For those of you that may not have heard that podcast, maybe you can just give them a quick summary of what we talked about. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. We started with uh, 1 John chapter 2, where John says... All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And we all have a pretty good understanding of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. But we wanted to take this podcast and just really develop the pride of life and what a serious issue it is. And yet, most people aren't even aware of it. You know, I ask people, what aspects of the pride of life are you dealing with? And many people, they don't have an answer. So then we went to Adam and Eve and how Eve saw the tree as desirable to make her wise. And when Satan tried to use, throw yourself off the temple, and uh, I'm going to give you all these things, and you're going to be so great, uh, pride of life. And then we talked a little bit about Nebuchadnezzar, and how Nebuchadnezzar said, this Babylon that I have built by my mighty power and the honor of my majesty And God told him, the kingdom has departed until you know that God rules and God gave this to you. And then we, the last thing that we talked about was the apostles arguing about who was going to be the greatest. And this is the pride of life. When I see my abilities as something to make me above someone, instead of something to help someone, then that's the pride of life. And as Jesus concluded that, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So having a servant mentality is crucial to be a good Christian, but it is impossible to have it if you have the pride of life. And then the last verse we looked at was Philippians chapter 2, where it says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. We're not doing this to be important. Jesus said, if you do things to be seen of men, you've received your reward in full, and God will not see it as valuable at all. So the pride of life can cheat us out of our eternal reward if we're not doing the things that we're doing to help people, but to make ourselves look good. And I've met preachers who are so interested in their sermons looking great and everybody complimenting the sermons that they are not that interested in the sermons helping people. They're just interested in sermons that people are going to look to. So let nothing be done through selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than himself. And look not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. So that's kind of where we left off. Yeah, excellent. Thank you for uh, that summary. And so what do we want to talk about today? Well, I really want to pick up with what I call the real heart of the problem, the real heart and the real issue, that if we can accept this one point, then we're going to be able to fight the pride of life. And we're going to be able to counter every time our mind goes in the wrong direction. We're going to stop ourselves and say, wait a minute. So let's read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 
Let's read verses 6 and 7, and then a little bit later, I'm going to read 4 and 5. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. Of course, this is Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you indeed did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Okay, so here we have the truth. Every gift, every ability, every opportunity, everything I have that makes me think I'm great, it's not from me. Who makes you differ from another? What, what do you have that you didn't receive? If I have more intelligence than someone else, it's because God gave me more intelligence. If I'm a better athlete, or I'm better looking, or I was born to wealthy parents, or I have this ability or that ability, what makes me differ from someone else? God. God's gifts to me. And what do you have that you didn't receive? Nothing. Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So, the pride of life makes me look at gifts from God as my right. And the pride of life makes me see other people as beneath me because I have something that they don't have. And interestingly enough, every person is different. And what I might be good at, and they're not good at, but down the road a little bit, they're good at something that I'm not good at. So we're all equal. If anyone has a gift, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, if anyone has a gift, ministering it among yourselves as good stewards. Now, a steward is somebody who is using something that someone else has. And so my body, my abilities, the country I live in, the opportunities I have, those are not from me. They're from God. Yeah, it's interesting, Alan, how we see this in the, the sporting realm where somebody is physically gifted and they are fast, or they just happen to be really good at whatever sport they're in. And it could be easy for them to attribute it to themselves. No doubt they can work and refine the skill or talent that God gave them. But no doubt, everything that we have, the minds to discern right and wrong, the minds to obtain a degree, uh, all comes from the Lord. And if we start from that base and understand it's from the Lord, then that's going to help sort of stave off pride, isn't it? Yeah, it's hard to be arrogant when it didn't, you, nothing is yours. It's hard to say I'm better than other people when it's just a gift from God. And uh, so, and that's where this selfish ambition versus esteeming others better than yourself. I have looked at this from a preacher perspective. Some preachers can just preach excellent, excellent sermons. I mean, every time they get up, they're just, they're praiseworthy lessons. But if that's a gift from God, and here I am without those gifts, working 10 times harder than the guy with the gift, who's really greater in the sight of God? The person who's just using his gifts and, and uh, not really developing them? Or the person who's working as hard as he can? He can never reach the level of other people, but that's because he doesn't have that gift. And so the, the preacher who can't preach very well should not have low self-esteem, and the preacher who is excellent should not have high self-esteem. We all have gifts, and I've met preachers who are not very eloquent in the pulpit, but they are such hard workers. They're out there preaching and teaching and converting people and doing other activities, and so it all equals out is the point. You, There's nothing that makes me different from anyone else. 
accept the gifts that I have received. Well, and I can see in some ways where that, you know, can be difficult, you know, for us, you know, particularly here in the United States, where you know, there's that there's that attitude. Of, well, I worked hard for, and you can fill in the blank. And I'm thinking like, you know, in business or you know, leaders or you know, boss supervisors on the job. Yeah, I worked real hard in my career, and now you know, now I'm in charge, and you need to listen to me. When in reality, yes, there may have been some innate you know talent the person had, but Sometimes opportunities came to him, time and chance. And as we're pointing out here, it all boils back to God and the gifts and our ability to, you know, learn and have knowledge and make wise choices. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent point. And that's exactly what it is that we need to be looking at. And what I wanted to do next is just read the the whole section here. This is actually first Corinthians chapter 4, and I just want to read verse 6 now. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes. Now if you remember what he's talking about, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase, so he who plants and he who waters are nothing but God who gives the increase. So Paul, even though he was an apostle, even though he wrote half the New Testament, even though he went out and preached and suffered, he's no better. God used him in that perspective. And if we lived in that day and age, maybe God could have used us, but he needed us here and now. So these things I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to go beyond what is written. In other words, stay within the scriptures, that none of you be puffed up on behalf of one against another. So, and this is a problem. We see this in many denominations. They think they know more than other people in other denominations. They look down on the people instead of realizing, yeah, they're in error, and I know the truth, but that means not that I'm better, but that I should help them. So, and of course, this is the goal we have, you know, being members of the Church of Christ. We try to not be puffed up. We try not to go beyond what is written. We try to humbly serve God and, and give God the glory by believing and trusting in the truth. But those who do not have the same understanding, we're not above them. We don't need to be puffed up. We need to help lift them up. Because as, as he goes on to say in verse 7, who makes you to differ? What do you have? that you did not receive. If you received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And, and this is what the pride of life does. It causes us to boast about things we've received. And now we're acting like, I'm better than you because I can do what you can't do. Well, yeah, because God gave it to you. It's nothing about you. There's nothing we have that's really ours. God created the heavens and the earth. He created our body. He created the needs, the opportunities to subdue the earth, the opportunities to grow and develop, the ambition, the image of God. That's all a gift. And I'm arrogant indeed if I can look to God and say, I'm as, I'm as good as you are because I have this, this, and this. And God's looking down on us, shaking his head, saying, you know, <laughs> those are things I gave to you. Uh, they don't... They don't make you better than anyone, and they certainly don't elevate you to a level even close to me. So, and again, this is what the pride of life does to us. I like that terminology, puffed up. You know, while you were talking, I, I looked it up, uh, Bible Dictionary. And, uh, you know, in, in a literal sense, to inflate, 
you know, to blow up, to cause to swell up, you know, in some ways, you know, like a balloon, for instance, uh, to puff up, make proud, to be puffed up, to bear oneself loftily, to be proud, uh, to cause to swell up, <laughs> uh, bigger than you are, in some ways, figuratively speaking. Right. And that is a serious problem. I've seen it so many times. You sit down and study with someone. And they don't even care. You know, it's this, don't confuse me with the facts. My mind is already made up. And you show them a scripture, well, I don't believe that. Or, but this scripture says. And they're just puffed up. They will not take the time to listen. And this was the big problem with the Pharisees. Yeah, and you know, to that point, Alan, I was thinking as you were going through this, in the spiritual realm, if we have studied the truth and we become knowledgeable of the truth and we try to follow it to the best of our ability. It's interesting how pride can manifest itself even in that realm. You know, I was thinking of Luke chapter 18 with the Pharisee who, you know, stood up and prayed and he was comparing himself to this tax collector who was a sinner. And and he's like, you know, I thank you that I'm not like other men, you know, like even this tax collector, because I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess and on and on. And he was so proud of what he was doing. Well, even though he was following the, the law, he was doing what God required. He had no right to be puffed up. And in fact, as you know, it goes on to talk about that that sinner who wouldn't so much as even raise his eyes because he was ashamed of his sin, went down to his house, Jesus said, justified. Not that Pharisee who was boasting of all the, the ways in which he kept the law. Yeah, and that's what the pride of life did to him. It kept him back. It destroyed his ability to become like that. He should have started as the publican, and then he would have been, you know, and God would have really been pleased with him. But let's take a look at the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus upbraids or rebukes or just tears the mask off of the Pharisees, and he warns the people, they sit in Moses' seat, and everything they command you to do, you need to do, but don't follow their deeds, because they say and do not. And then he gets into the pride of life in the Pharisees. And so, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 23, verses 5 and 5 through 7, first of all. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. I just want all of our listeners to realize this has not vanished from the earth. There's a lot of people like this. Uh, Peter warns that there are false teachers out there who want to make merchandise out of you. They want you to use or to view them in this way. They want you to give them the best. Uh, unfortunately, this, in my judgment, it is why I would never wear these robes or a backwards collar or somehow or another because that is, I'm just a person. And yes, I'm a preacher. That's the work I do, but it doesn't make me anything. And I'm not going to advertise it by the clothes I wear or by the demeanor that I have. I don't want phylacteries broad. I don't want the barter, the, the borders of the garments. I don't want to wear something that causes other people to maybe look at me in the wrong way. Uh, 
And the same thing with loving the best places at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. Uh, people like that, but they don't. They shouldn't expect it because that's the pride of life. Uh, so these Pharisees were animated not by a love for the people that they were serving, not by esteeming others better than themselves, not by in lowliness of mind and, and looking at the interests of others. These people were using others to make themselves look good. They were the epitome of what Jesus said. They were blowing the trumpet. Uh, when you give alms, don't blow the trumpet. When you fast, don't disfigure your face. Don't let other men even know what you're doing, and then you'll receive a reward from heaven. So the pride of life, I'm doing it for men, for their praise. The true use of the emotions and abilities God has given to us to help other people and to raise them up. And so we, we do not have anything that should allow us or make us feel like I'm better than others and I should be treated better. And as I said earlier, sometimes a husband treats his wife like this. Sometimes fathers and mothers treat their children like this. They see them as tools to make them look good instead of seeing themselves as servants who are given to help these other people get what they want and get what they need instead of seeing them as tools to give them what they want. You know, it's interesting, Gal, in the Sermon on the Mount, you were talking about, you know, doing your charitable deeds. And as you know, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said in verse 1 there, you know, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And, you know, I think it's sort of natural or instinctive on our part sometimes to want others to know we're doing charitable deeds. But that can quickly turn into we just do it to be seen by men and not so much because it's a good thing to do. And I like how he goes on to talk about who in verse four, you know, your charitable deed, if it's done in secret, your father sees that and he'll reward you. So don't seek the praise of men. So even if we're doing it innocently, as we might say, we just have to be careful because once again, it can turn into I'm just doing this so others know that I do it and maybe they'll praise me, you know, and that that's obviously not what we no, that destroys the whole purpose of it. And that's why we've got to identify this. If we can identify it, we can, we can guard ourselves against it. We can repent of it. We can start working our way out of it. But if we see it as normal, if we don't see the pride of life in our lives, then we're not going to change our mind. We're not going to repent. We're not going to have godly sorrow. I wish I wasn't like this. I wish I didn't feel like this. And you can crush your road rage, as you said earlier, if you just become polite and see other people as having just as much right as you do and, and trying to help other people, gets rid of stress, gets rid of anger, causes you to be right with God. Pride of life in that perspective is very dangerous and very counterproductive and corrosive. Yeah, we mentioned this earlier with the apostles, you know, first will be last. You know, if you really want to be, you know, first, you know, be servant. Here we are with the Pharisees, you know, viewed as the religious leaders of the day, the the religious elite, if you will, uh, with perhaps the the populace, you know, looking up to them, you know, for their wisdom and their knowledge and their insight. Uh, and of course, that in many ways we might say, you know, went for a lot of them went to their head, and they just really enjoyed that, you know, praise and and adoration as opposed to being the servant leader that. 
Jesus was, you know, telling his apostles they needed to be. And I don't think there's a starker contrast than that. Here these men crucified their own Messiah. They crucified the Son of God because of the pride of life. And uh, we'll see that a little more in a little bit. But Jesus' warning to his disciples is very clear. Let's, uh, let's read now verses 8 through 12. I think, Jeff, you're up for that. Matthew 23. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. All right, so here's the contrast. The Pharisees in verses 5 through 7, pride of life. The disciples in verses 8 through 12, serving, using their gifts and abilities, crushing the pride of life. It's, you know, you can get more self-esteem out of serving others than you can ever get thinking you're superior to others. So no one in the, the true Christian spirit wants to be called rabbi or father. You know, and this is an issue because there are some religions where the preacher is called father. And here Jesus is saying, don't do it. And they're doing it anyway. It makes me wonder on the judgment day, what's he going to say to them? He said, don't call anyone father, and they're calling father, and yet they call him Lord. So, but the key is verse 11. He who is greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself, remember Nebuchadnezzar, he exalted himself, so he had to be humbled. Whoever humbles himself, you remember it says of Moses, he was the meekest man in all the earth. He was so humble that God had to talk him into going to Egypt because he didn't feel he was good enough. And so he who humbles himself will be exalted. I mean, look at how Moses was exalted because he was humble. And look at how Nebuchadnezzar was humbled because he exalted himself. And we need to learn a lesson from that. And we can learn a lesson from that. And we need to look at ourselves and our relationships with other people. Like I said, husbands and wives, parents and children, teachers and students, employers and employees, uh, government, those in leadership, those who are under the government. There's an arrogance. There's a pride. There is a, you know, God talks about a spirit of stupor on the land. He's not saying stupid. He's saying stupor, which means you just can't see. It's You're just drowsy enough that if you're drowsing, or excuse me, if you're driving, you could get into an accident because you're in a state of stupor. You can't really see what's going on around you. And so we have this in our culture today. People don't respect authority. They don't respect those who are over them. And as a result, they cut themselves off. These students who won't listen to their teacher are not going to learn. And they're so arrogant, I don't need to learn anything. And you're looking at them and you're just shaking your head saying, here's the pride of life. Look at the terrible consequences of the pride of life in this person. Yeah, it's interesting, Alan, as we go through all these different elements of the pride of life, one of the areas that you touched on a little bit in the first podcast with road rage is that, you know, the pride of life can also create a desire within us for vengeance. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and how, how that works? Yeah, no, that's an, that's an excellent point because that's what the pride of life can do. 
And that's exactly what it did with the Pharisees. So when we have a competitive desire to win, and then we lose, the confrontation is over, but we keep reliving it. And we keep thinking of ways, how can I turn the tables and come out on top? And so, again, this is the pride of life. I want to get even. They won. I should have won. I'm going to figure out a way to win. And so now I want vengeance. I'm going to get even. You know, a lot of movies in the, in the world today are based on that. The story opens with somebody being terribly mistreated, and the movie goes on. This man goes after each one of the people who did it, and he gets even with them. And, and sadly, we're cheering them on when God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. You do not take vengeance. This is not your realm. That's the pride of life. So this is why Proverbs chapter 4, verse 17 says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Well, why would we rejoice when our enemy falls? Because they finally got what's coming to them. They finally got what they deserve. Well, we're not the one to make that decision. And if we, have, if we don't have the pride of life, then we're not going to do that. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Do not let your heart be glad when he's overthrown. And sadly, boy, there are a lot of people in the world today who are so vindictive and they're just waiting for that opportunity. And it's crushing. I mean, it's just so sad to look at that because think of all the damage that we're doing to our workplace, to our team, to our school, to our church. If we have that attitude, we act it out, and we damage the unity. You know, sowing discord, there's six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination, and one of them is sowing discord. And we sow discord out of the pride of life. We want someone to fall, or we want someone to, we want to get even with them. And so we're going to talk down about them, or we're going to gossip about them. And like I said, there's a lot of sins that are tied to the pride of life. It's interesting. Uh, that reminds me of something I believe we said back in part one with the... Uh added influence or temptation with social media you know facebook instant messaging etc and a lot of the uh if i want to say hostility or gossip (laughs) uh, that you see on social media that's like you know people getting their feelings hurt or they're gonna you know get even you know not necessarily in a physically violent way but certainly in a uh, verbally i don't know if i want to say verbally violent but uh in in a uh, indirect way well you're right and that's again that's why we're covering this in our podcast and that's why we're taking two podcasts because this is a serious problem and many people do not recognize it they don't repent of the pride of life they don't look for it in their life and that's why i'm we're trying to open up a vista for them to see how this comes out and how they can deal with it It's interesting how the Bible touches on this so much where it talks about the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But I guess the bigger point here is that that should be obvious, right? But if we spend our time, to your point, being angry with people, you know, sometimes we have this saying, I won't, I don't get mad, I get even. If that's our mentality, then how can we ever expect to be righteous or doing the work that God wants us to do? That's where our mind needs to be, not on vengeance. Lord said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So once again, that could be that can relieve stress. If we put it in the Lord's hands, we know that he'll deal with it. 
And maybe, you know, if it's somebody that we have a confrontation with, well, yeah, God also, or Jesus also said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? So, you know, we want to try and resolve our differences, but boy, spending time just thinking about how we're going to get even, I think we should all see clearly that that is not going to produce the righteousness of God in any way. Well, and I think uh, Alan, a few moments ago, mentioned, you know, the Pharisees and how they were, you know, consumed with that kind of a you know, getting even with uh, Jesus, who had sort of, in many ways, you know, put them in their place. And even Pilate could see that. That I've always found this verse fascinating. You know, you see people in the world, and they're watching people in the church, or in this case, people in the Jewish nation, shaking their head, saying, why in the world are they acting like that? They can see what a problem it is. And so Pilate, well, let's, let's read that. Let's, uh, Jeff, why don't you read Matthew 27? It's 17 and 18. Okay. Pilate said to them, and this is the audience uh, as part of Jesus' trial, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. And there's the pride of life. Pride of life cost these men their eternal life. Pride of life caused these men to crucify the Son of God. He knew it was out of envy. Well, what's envy? Envy is you're better than me and I'm going to bring you down. Envy is I'm uncomfortable because you have something I don't have and I'm going to take it away from you. Now, the interesting thing about zeal and envy, they're the same word. Jealousy and envy, I'm sorry, jealousy and zeal, zealous and jealous, zealous and envy. When I see somebody doing something that I can't do. If I'm zealous, I'm going to get to work and bring myself up. And that's the proper use. That's not the pride of life. That's the proper use of the emotion God gave to us. But when I see you doing something that I can't do, and I decide to destroy you because I can't do what you can do, and the only way I can make that right is to destroy you, that's jealousy, that's envy. And once again, it's the pride of life that's leading to that emotion. I'm thinking of myself more highly than I should think. I'm just a servant. I'm just another individual, just a human being. I'm not God. And so the people of the world often can see when people are bickering in the church and they're shaking their heads saying, what kind of a church is that? What kind of a church is it where people can get along and love each other? And so you wonder what Pilate's thinking. I mean, here's the Jewish leaders acting out of envy to try to get somebody killed. And he knew it. And the sad thing is he didn't have the backbone to stand up and say, no, we're not going to do this. So let's go back to Nebuchadnezzar for a minute, uh, because I want us to see the outcome of what God did and how the pride of life was crushed out of his life. So, Brian, why don't you read verses, uh, this is in chapter 4, and we're going to look, in this case, at verses 36 and 37. Yeah, sounds good. And, and before I read this passage, for those of you that may not have heard the first podcast, Alan used an example of Nebuchadnezzar and him giving himself all the glory for a, of the, the great kingdom of Babylon, not acknowledging that it was God that allowed this to happen. So God took the kingdom away from him and in essence made him like an animal out in the field to teach him a lesson. And so it sounds like, Alan, this is going to be the lesson that he learned, right? Exactly. Yeah, the pride of life is gone. So Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 34, this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. At the same time, my reason returned to me, 
and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. Oh, you're right. Nebuchadnezzar learned his lesson. And it's, don't you find it fascinating? Excellent majesty. He recognized, I've got majesty. I've got praise. I'm extolled. And and uh, people look at me and, and uh, but but he says now in verse 37, instead of, instead of this making him something special, he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, now praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. So here's the pride of life removed. When I can glorify and honor God because I'm smarter or because I'm better looking or because I'm richer or because I have a popularity or any of the things that cause people to think there's something special, if we can just realize God gave me this glory to God, not to me. Nothing I've done is mine. And that's why, again, Paul said, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. He's not going to take any credit for all the work he's done, because God put him in that position, and God allowed him to do those things. And that's how we all need to look at ourselves. I don't think Abraham or Noah or Moses would would look down on other people who just gave the cup of cold water because they don't have the pride of life, and they wouldn't look at it like that. And so his final comment, those who walk in pride, he's able to put down. Pride goes before destruction is one of the verses that we have in the scriptures. And the proud people, uh, God hates. He hates the proud look. That's another one of the six things the Lord hates. One is sowing discord. The other is a proud look. God hates that because, not because he hates it, but because of the damage it does to the person who has it. And that's why he hates it. He doesn't hate the person. You know, we have this statement, we hate the sin, we love the sinner. God loves the sinners. When he sees things destroying them, he hates the sin. So now we want to develop a little bit more of this concept of what do you have that you did not receive? And so we go to Genesis chapter 1, and we see God not only creating the heavens and the earth, not only creating all the gold and silver, not only creating electricity and and power sources, not only creating animals and not only giving us the dominion over it, but creating us in his image and likeness so we can act like him. And so when I become adept at something, I'm just acting like God to a very limited degree. I mean, the, the wisdom, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. We'll never reach his level. So God made us in his image. Praise God, not me. There's nothing I have, like Paul said, I'm nothing. You know, if, if anyone would have the right to brag, and Paul makes that point in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 12 or 13, he says, are they apostles? So am I. Are they this? So am I. And I have the right to boast, but I won't do it because God gave these things to me. They don't make me better. I'm going to work harder because God gave me these gifts. But the purpose of it is to help all other Christians, not to have all other Christians looking at me. And so 
I like Psalms 139 and verse 14 because it really encapsulates what we're talking about here. Jeff, would you like to read that for us, please? Sure. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. There's humility. You know, all humility is, is accepting the truth that God made us, God gave us these things, and praise God. And you know, it's it's very interesting because giving thanks, I think there's five places in the New Testament where it says giving thanks to God always for all things, and giving thanks and being thankful. And the joy of being thankful is the reward that it brings. Gratitude is such a wonderful emotion. You know, when you're when you're in a bad situation, let's say you go out to your car, it's pouring down rain, and and uh, the battery's dead, and here comes someone with some battery cables and umbrella, and they get you going again, and you you would do anything for that person, and you're very grateful, and that is when the pride of life is at its lowest ebb, and when we recognize and are grateful to God for what he's given us, we're going to have a lot more joy and a lot more happiness in our life for two reasons. First of all, because it's the truth. And whenever we do what's true, you know, things always work better and there's no stress or troubles involved. And the second reason is the satisfaction that we get and the joy that we get of having a God who is so kind and so generous and so loving and so merciful. And and instead of being proud and arrogant and looking to God with contempt, I am humble and submissive and looking to God with reverence and with a respect. And I say I, I should be saying we, because all of us need this quality. And if we don't have it, you're in the grips of the pride of life. And you need to repent and get back to that because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God's works are marvelous. And we need to know that. Well, and, and even with people that might say, well, you know, I'm, I worked hard. You know, I went off, got a you know, college education. I've got lots of money now. I've got lots of, you know, position. I've got you know, authority. I've got fame. I, you know, I, 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 I. But, you know, as you're trying to, to point out here, you know, even our abilities, our talents, our ability to learn, you know, opportunities that have, that have been given to us for, you know, extra education or job opportunities or, you know, our, our, our minds, if you will, all of that, all of that uh, ultimately goes back to being from God. Excellent point. You know, and I'm often reminded that we are blessed to have been born in this age. You know, I've, I've done some reading in history, and I'm sure many of our listeners have as well. And we know of that period called the Dark Ages. And if we had been born into the Dark Ages, we wouldn't know how to read. We wouldn't know how to write. And we wouldn't have any opportunities except to stay where we were born. If we were born a shepherd, we'd die a shepherd. If we were born a farmer, we would die a farmer. If we were born lowly, we would always stay lowly, a pauper. And that's what it was. And it didn't matter. There were some people with tremendous abilities back then, but no opportunities. And so who gave us the right to be born now? Who gave us all of the blessings that we have today? And so... Instead of being arrogant, instead of seeing those things as something that uh, makes me better, 
we need to be humble and we need to be grateful and we need to be so thankful that God has blessed us to live in such a country and to have the opportunities that we have today. And we crush, again, we just crush that pride of life. All right, Moses warns the children of Israel. There's, there's a couple of verses that I want to look at, something Moses said and something David said. And so let's go ahead and look first at what Moses said. And we're just going to kind of cut up the verse a little bit because we're, we, I have a lot to cover and we, we need to, to maybe speed things up a little bit. So, Brian, why don't you read part of Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18, and we'll leave it to our listeners if they want to read the entire verse. When you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. All right, so there's the crushing blow to the pride of life. When you have money, when you have power, when you have glory, God made it possible. David said almost the same thing. And so, Jeff, why don't you read that? First Chronicles 29, verse 12. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. All right, so once again, riches come from God, honor comes from God. If I have either one of those, then I praise God. I don't look at myself as being something special or or someone who has reached it or successful. Uh, God made that possible. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength. You know, and later when he's giving money to the temple, he says, Who am I and who are your people to give all these things? For all things are yours and we are only giving you what is your own. And that that's the truth of the matter. No matter what I do for God, I'm just using that. That's why Peter says, You have gifts, you're a good steward if you use them. We're stewards. It all belongs to God. We have an opportunity to use the things God has given us to become, you know, to, to be successful, to do great things, all the while seeing those great things, not looking at your own interests, but the interests of others, not considering yourself, but considering the needs of others. And that's where the pride of life keeps us back. It holds us back from being what we ought to be. So that brings us to maybe one of the most important verses on this subject. And again, it's Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, but I just want to read verses 3 through 9, or actually I want Brian to read verses 3 through 9. And as he's reading it, I want you to listen. I want all of our listeners to, to, to think to themselves, am I doing these things? Is this me? Is, do I have this mind? So let's go ahead and look at that, Brian. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 3, says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, so here 
we have the real essence of the image and likeness of God. Instead of the pride of life, it creates service to others. It creates humility. It creates the understanding that I don't have to cling to these things. I don't have, these things are not that critical to my life. I can let them go. And they, uh, and, and when someone takes something that I think is mine, that's fine. That's how I turn the other cheek. That's how I go the second mile. That's how I give up my cloak. That's how I get along when people are mistreating and persecuting. That's how you can rejoice in persecution. And that's how you can pray for those who persecute you and spitefully use you doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And of course, we have already looked at verse 4, counting others better than yourselves, not looking at your own interests. But now in verse 5, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So this is the mind of Christ. And no Christian, no Christian can say, that's beneath me. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be a servant like Christ. Uh, that's folly. Uh, you can't, that, 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 uh, the service not greater than his Lord. And Jesus made that point. So have this mind among yourselves. Now, he takes us back into eternity before Jesus comes to this earth. And he reveals some things here that are amazing. They are so complex and they are, they are dealt with in other places. But uh, it says he was existing in the form of God. And if you have any doubt as to what that means, go over to Hebrews chapter 1, where it says, God said to Jesus that you are God, that you created the heavens and the earth. In 1 John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus, before he was Jesus, was existing in the form of God as the Word, and he had equality with God. Now, I say equality only in the sense of he can do anything God can do. Uh, he has omniscience. He has omnipotence. He has eternity. He has every ability. When God said, let there be light, Jesus knew exactly how to make light, and he made light. When God said, let, all the, let the dry land appear, make all the animals, make man in our image and likeness. And Jesus, existing in the form of God, he was able to do that. But when the time came for him to leave heaven, he did not count his equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Now, that's the pride of life. If Jesus said, I'm not leaving, I've got, the angels are serving me, and, and I'm on an equality with you. You know, he said in John 17, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world was. He's willing to give all of that up. Well, why was he willing to give all of that up? For us, to serve us to sacrifice himself, to bring us up to a higher level. And that is complete absence of the pride of life. And to any degree that we can't do that ourselves, that's where the pride of life is coming in. Now, we don't exist in the form of God. We exist in the form of man. And we are equal with other men. But we can empty ourselves. We can turn the other cheek. We can go the second mile. We can sacrifice ourselves. We can uh, be persecuted. Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Now, that's the mind of Christ. That's the mind Paul says you should have in yourself. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He was in the form of God, but he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. 
And verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. I mean, we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying and, and begging God and pleading with God, and yet saying, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's what lack of pride of life. If you don't have any pride of life, you're going to be just like Jesus. And if you have pride of life, you're never going to be like Jesus, and you may not even understand why Jesus could be what he was. Yeah, and I think that gives us a, a lot of you know insight. Was, again, especially since Jesus had you know you know all authority and power. You know, we have today you know some people that have you know you know minuscule authority and power. You know, by by comparison, and yet they're the ones that often will will be very you know prideful or stuck up or haughty, etc. When in reality they're in essence they're nothing in the sight of God. Yeah, that's that's a sad reality. Everyone who thinks of himself more highly than he ought to think has lessened himself in the eyes of God. And it's, it's interesting. Up is down and down is up. We call that a paradox. Paradox is when things are not what they seem. And so the lower we go, the more we're serving. You know, there's many women today who, when they read in, in Ephesians, husband, or wives submit to your own husbands in everything. They say, that's not fair. That's not right. That's, well, that's the pride of life talking. That's the pride of life because if they want to be great, then they will be that servant. Well, most people say, that doesn't make any sense. That's, that's a paradox. I can't believe that. Well, if you don't believe it, then that's the pride of life because serving others is the essence of Christianity. If we can't do it, then that means that there's some other influence that's in the way. And yes, you could call it a lust of the flesh and perhaps the, uh, the lust of the eyes, but the real problem, the real culprit here is the pride of life. And so we have to learn to leave the pride of life and turn to humility, agape love, love, trust, and submission to God. And if we can do that with all of our interactions with other people, we don't have competitions to win. It's a journey on the straightened and narrow way, and we're lifting other people and helping other people on the way. And so I see a Christian serving. I know he doesn't have the pride of life. I see a Christian who has a chip on his shoulder. Every time you say something to them, they get mad. They, they make excuses. Uh, they get frustrated. Then I know there's the pride of life. And so we love our neighbor as ourselves. And we do unto others as you would have others do to you. And if we can do that, we can crush pride. And, uh, you know, I didn't give the definition. One of the definitions of pride is an insolent and empty assurance which trusts in its own power and resources. That's what got the Pharisees. That what, that's what got the Jews when they came out of Egypt and they would not submit to Moses and they would not submit to God because they had an insolent and empty assurance. Even the ten plagues couldn't break them from it. Even standing before Mount Sinai and hearing God give the, the Ten Commandments, even eating manna every morning and getting water from rock and water from uh, various sources, and yet they still had an insolent and empty assurance which trusted in its own power and resources. They could never give themselves to God. And it was just, it's just so sad. You see that 
You know, I'm sure before the flood, that was the problem. You see it in Cain. Cain was told, don't let your anger cause you to sin. Well, he was he had the pride of life. He wouldn't listen to God. That's why he, God wouldn't accept his sacrifice by the through the pride of life. God told him what to bring. He didn't bring it by faith. He trusted in his own wisdom. And so that's what happened. And so once again, it's just a, a terrible, terrible thing that we need to realize and we need to understand that if I can't love my neighbor as myself, if I can't do unto others, if I can't turn the other cheek, then you're looking pride of life right in the face. Now, there's two passages, I think, that really help us. The one we've already read in 1 Corinthians, who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you didn't receive? Now, if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't? But then there's another verse, uh, John, James chapter 17, I'm sorry, chapter 1 and verse 17. Uh, Jeff, would you like to read that for us, please? Okay. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shifting shadow, which I think in many ways points to, you know, not only God is the ultimate source of these things, but I guess the, the gratitude that we should have. Yeah, this is crushing blow to the pride of life when I realize that every good thing I have in my life came from God, and every perfect gift that I prize so highly, and that, I, that gives me self-esteem, and even maybe if, if I'm not careful, makes me feel superior, but that came from God, and that crushes. How can I feel superior when what I have was given to me, and what you have was given to you, and I have something you don't have, so I can use what I have to help you. And you have something that I don't have, and you can help me. Everybody has something that they can do better than other people. And if we all, as Paul said, when every part does its share, when every joint is moving, then the body is going to grow. And so the pride of life is one of the things that keeps churches from becoming places of peace, places of harmony, places where the truth is more important than other people's feelings or thinkings or, or pride. And so this is something that we all have to recognize and understand. Yeah, I appreciate your emphasis, Alan, on this point, because, you know, when you think about the Christian walk, it's really about having the right perspective. And these passages that you're reading really help to frame for us as Christians that we certainly can't boast about any of our accomplishments. God has not only created the earth, but given us everything that we have. And so therefore what? Well, therefore is we need to focus on doing the good works that he's given us to do and be careful not to attribute any success or anything, once again, that we have skill set wise uh, to ourselves. And if we can do that continually, because it's not something that's a one-time thing, right? then we have that right perspective and we can move forward focusing on what God would have us to do in that work instead of ourselves, which is so easy to do. Yeah, and that's the whole goal of these two podcasts. First, to help us see it, and secondly, to apply it to people like Nebuchadnezzar, to people like the apostles, and to people like Jesus. Jesus had no pride of life, and the apostles and Nebuchadnezzar and the Pharisees 
they were in the grips of the pride of life. And you can certainly see the difference. And uh, one of you brought up earlier Luke chapter 18. The Pharisee came and said, I thank you that I'm not like other men. And the publican said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The publican had no pride of life. The Pharisee was in the grips of it. And so we just have to recognize as long as we can stay grateful for what we have, we'll be humble. But when we start thinking that this is mine, I built it myself, this is great and I'm great, we lose sight of God. It is terrible. We must keep in our mind. And that's why God wants us to be thankful to him. You can't thank somebody for something that you think you, you, don't, you don't need to be thankful because it's yours. I don't have to thank God for my intelligence because I worked hard to be intelligent. Well, that's the pride of life speaking. But the person who says, I thank God that I'm intelligent, I thank God that he made me this way and gave me these opportunities, and I'm going to use my intelligence to serve other people and to serve God and to become the most valuable servant to God that I can possibly be. So pride of life cuts us away. And those who stay humble, they keep building and adding and and becoming uh, great servants, valuable servants, people on the judgment day who will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Now I will put you over many things. I want to hear that. And I know the pride of life will keep me from hearing it. And I know the listeners, they want to hear that. But just keep in mind, pride of life has taken you away from that. Okay, the last verse that we want to talk about in our podcast, this will be the kind of the capping off of both podcasts. And we see here Nebuchadnezzar's problems resolved. We see here the Pharisees' problems could have been resolved by this one thing. So, Jeff, would you like to read Romans 12, verses uh, 3 and 4? Okay. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Okay. So, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Now, you might say in your own heart, yeah, but I have all these things, and I am all these things. And I would respond, or God would respond, yeah, but where'd you get them? What do you have that you didn't receive? Tell me, what do you have that you didn't receive? Uh, Is your body, did you make your own body? Uh, Did you put a brain in your head? Did you make the, the world the way it is? Did you give us the dominion so that we could have these things? And the answer is no, and no, and no, and no, and it just strips away the pride of life, leaving us humble. Of course, we have to be careful because we don't want to shift, we don't want to strip so much away that now I'm nothing and I'm worthless and I'm useless, but we have to stay on the straight and narrow path that leads to life. In other words, we don't want to go too far to the how great I am. We don't want to go too far to how lowly I am. We just want to accept what God says about us, and so we need to think soberly. What God says about us in the scriptures, that's the truth. Let's stay within those parameters. God said, Paul watered, I'm sorry, Paul planted, Apollos watered, I gave the increase. So he who plants and he who waters are one, but they're nothing 
because God gives the increase. Now, they're not nothing in the sense of you're worthless, you're useless, but they're nothing in the sense of I haven't, as Jesus said once, he said, when you've done everything that God has asked you to do, I want you to say, we are still unprofitable servants because we've only done our duty. Paul perfectly exemplifies that. And that's what we need to look for. As Paul said, be imitators of me as I'm an imitator of Christ. And so don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Well, now I've got to go in and I got to figure that out because that's the pride of life and it's masked and I can't see it until I start looking at the scriptures and I start realizing here's my position as a man on the earth. Here's my position as a woman on the earth. Here's my position as a wife or a husband. Here's my position as a student or a teacher, as an employer or an employee. And God has done even a citizen versus the the leaders. And God has given parameters to each one of them to understand. And we need to read that and we need to see if this is me, I don't have any pride of life. If it's not me, then I need to crush it. I need to recognize, you know, the song leader has a beautiful voice. The teacher has ability to teach. The preacher has eloquence. But that's only reasons for gratitude. It's not a reason to create selfish pride or folly because that leads to our own destruction. Very good thoughts, Alan. Thank you so much for going through this in detail. Hopefully our listeners have found these two podcasts to be helpful in, in understanding this important subject. And before I point people back to the website, Jeff, let me give you a final opportunity if you have anything that you'd like to wrap up with. Well, the only thing I just might you know, emphasize is we've seen throughout the scriptures and honestly in the lives of those around about us, you know, this is a common pitfall uh, that people are subject to. And, you know, to leave the final point, it's, it's not just in the Bible. It's not just with, you know, a lot of people around us. It's also us <laughs> that, that and that's probably the, the hardest thing is that, you know look in the mirror examine ourselves and see whether or not you know we have this pride that in many ways tends to blind us <laughs> to having this you know over inflated puffed up sense of pride and arrogance and you know i'm, I'm so much greater than everybody else yeah that is so true good thoughts well, to give our listeners a few more resources, if you'd like to dive a little bit deeper into this subject, if you go to our website, biblequestions.org, you can go to C for Christian Living, where there's a host of articles and questions that we've answered about this, the Christian life, you know, this being one element of it, of course. Also, H for Humility and P for Pride. And I'd like to also recommend one of the articles that we have under the section on pride entitled, How Can I Tell If I Have Too Much Pride? And if you look at that article, what you'll see in there is that there are some questions that you can answer to maybe test yourself to see, do you have so much pride or too much pride? And it not only looks at it from this, you know, sense of inflated ego and overconfidence, but also the kind of the other end of the spectrum, and that is a lack of self-confidence. Or are you someone that refuses to let other people help you? Things like that. So highly encourage you to look at that article. Please consider these points that Alan has made in these two episodes and do your very best to make application in your own lives. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, 
along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at BibleQuestions.org.